At the time for the dinner, the host sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything is ready now. But they all alike, they began to make their excuses. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have to confess, I wrote three different versions of this sermon. Three different versions. In the very first version, I, the preacher, encouraged you, the listener, to imagine yourself as the party host. You worked diligently to prepare a feast. You ordered the perfect set of invitations. And you even hired a wine sommelier just to make sure that everything would be in harmony. For months, you laid awake at night, not worrying about the extravaganza itself, but imagining all of the profoundly kind compliments you were going to receive for your party. And then, as the day of the shindig grew closer and closer, the RSVPs started to arrive. And with every no, your heart sank deeper and deeper until you realized that no one, not a single invitee, would be coming. And so you fretted. You fretted over what to do next. After all, you had spent a small fortune on this thing, and you couldn't just return it. So you began calling your family members, you began knocking on the doors of all your neighbors, but it still wasn't enough. It got to the point that like a crazy person, you started yelling at people in the streets, demanding that they come into your house for your party. But it wasn't a very good sermon. It wasn't a very good sermon because it made all of you, the listeners, out to be God. You were the divine party host. And when no one showed up to your party, it just left you feeling angry. Where's the good news in feeling angry? So then I wrote sermon number two. In sermon number two, I, the preacher, encourage you, the listener, to imagine yourself not as the host, but as one of the invited guests. You received an invitation in the mail to a very posh party, and though you were initially excited about the prospect of attending, you quickly realized that your attendance would be an impossibility. You knew, deep down, it would be irresponsible to accept such a grand invitation, You just thought about how it would really be such a waste. You pictured in your mind all the hungry children across the world, and you thought about all that food being wasted, and you didn't want to have any part of it. So you came up with a list, a list of reasons of why you would not be attending. For some of you, it was because of your spouse. For others, you had responsibilities in the home that could not be overlooked. And still yet, for a few of you, you just simply lied because you didn't want to go. But that wasn't a very good sermon either. It wasn't a good sermon because when all of you found out the lengths that the host went to to make sure that the house was full even though you said no, you weren't even jealous. I mean, the host invited all of the delinquents and all of the riffraff from the community. Who would want to go to a party with those people? You became satisfied with your excuses and you patted yourself on the back for a job well done. Now the third sermon. The third sermon... That one was my favorite. Because in it, I, the preacher, encourage you, the listener, not to imagine yourself as the host, not to imagine yourself as someone invited, but as someone who had no business going to the party in the first place. You were down on your luck, worrying about how to pay your bills, fretting over your child's grades, overwhelmed by domestic trivialities. And all the while, your neighbor was setting up for a party to which you weren't invited. And you witnessed truck after truck bringing in wine and beer 
You saw the caterers lugging in all of their food and equipment, and when the day of the party arrived, you could hear the band playing over your fence. And the band was playing all of your favorite songs. And you couldn't go because you weren't invited. And then miracle of miracles, the host came and knocked on your door, grabbed you by the collar, and started dragging you to the party. But you were full of humility. You pleaded with the host to realize that, hey, buddy, you're making a mistake. I'm not the kind of person that you would want to have at your party. I'll never return the favor, and frankly, I don't have anything to wear. To which the host simply waved his hand and said, hey, go look in my closet. I'm sure you can find something and you can keep it. I don't really care about your excuses. I just want you at the party. And so you went and you ate and you drank and you danced. You had the time of your life. You fraternized with people who never would have given you the time of day anywhere else. And the longer you were there, the longer you partied, the more people started showing up with you. And they, like you, had sparkles in their eyes because something like this was beyond your wildest imaginations. And that sermon, that sermon was a good one. It was a good sermon because it spoke truly about the ridiculousness of grace, about how unmerited it is, how we, even up to the moment we receive it, make excuses for why we shouldn't be the ones to get it. And I almost preached that sermon. One long story about being dragged to a party that you didn't deserve to attend. It was going to end with a host bringing out yet another case of wine as the sun rose in the east and everyone trotting back out onto the dance floor to do it all over again. But I'm not going to preach that sermon. No, I'm not going to preach that one. Because it's good news, but it sounds a little too good. You know what I mean? It sounds just a little too good. Jesus is still at a dinner party when the scripture for today begins. He has already healed a man, much to the chagrin of everybody else at the party. He has already called everyone out for wanting to sit in the best places. And he just commanded them to invite the wrong people when they have their own parties. When someone inexplicably stands up and shouts, Blessed is anyone who will eat in your kingdom of God. It sounds like the man is mocking Jesus. As in, no one is going to buy whatever you're selling, J.C. Blessed would be anyone and everyone, apparently, in your kingdom. But you know what? That ain't the way the world works. And Jesus won't stand for it. And what the interrupting man doesn't know, what he can't know, is that the very kingdom of God he referenced is actually sitting at the table with him. And none of them want him. They don't want to eat bread in the kingdom if it means what Jesus is preaching. They had all worked too hard to get where they were. And it doesn't sound like good news when you're told that the first are going to be last when you are the first. And Jesus does what Jesus does. He tells a story. Man invited many to his awesome party. Everyone responded to the card in the mail. But when the day of the party arrived, they were no-shows. Each of the guests in their own way said, hey, Lord, I'll spend time with you later. But right now I've got my own thing. All the people at the table hearing Jesus' story, they are like the people in the parable with their excuses. They had pursued the sensible path. They were what we could call successful. And Jesus tells them right to their faces, all of your pursuing is what keeps you out of the party. For this crazy Lord of ours, the one we worship and adore, he has no use for winners. 
People only concerned with their own definitions of what it means to do and to win in this life. And instead of bringing in all the right people to the party, the host, Jesus, goes out looking for all the wrong people. Because one way or another, Jesus is going to fill the party. The food is going to get eaten. The drinks are going to be drunk. The band is going to be enjoyed. And it sounds too good. It sounds too good, but this is the good news. It is the gospel. The losers of life are the winners at God's table. On a day when they expected nothing or worse, they rise to a new way of being that surpasses even the people who receive their invitations in the mail. The last, the least, the lost, the little, and the dead, they never get invited to parties in this life because they run counter to everything the world tells us to do. But in the kingdom of God, lastness, leastness, lostness, littleness, deadness, they are all Jesus is looking for. Jesus has been saying it again and again throughout all of these parables we've been hearing. He's been saying it in different ways and shapes and forms. You and I, we don't get to earn our spot at the party. There's no to-do list to get in. In this particular parable, none of the people who had the right to be at the party came, and all of the people who came had no right to be there. Nothing in the kingdom of God has anything to do with rights. God is going to deal with us in spite of our deservings, not according to them. And that gets under our skin. Or worse, we ignore it. We're so accustomed to a way of being about earning and rewarding that free grace sounds irresponsible. Free grace sounds too good to be true. But hear this, in all of its craziness, in all of its bizarreness, grace works by raising the dead, not by rewarding the living. This story from Jesus, it's about liberty. Not liberty from monarchy like so many of us celebrated this week with our food and our fun and our fireworks. But it is about liberty, liberty from all the labeling that comes in this life, liberty from the truest tyranny the world has ever known. It is liberty from sin and from death. This party of Jesus's, this parable of the host dragging in people from the street, it shows us how God in Christ gives us liberty and death. It even shows us how free we really are right now. For we have all been baptized into Jesus's death. Or at least it should show us how free we should be. Because most of us aren't. Myself included, I am shackled to the expectations of this world. Of the need and the desire to appear first when I am really last. To appear wealthy even when I'm in debt. To seem as if I've got it all figured out when I really have no idea what I'm doing. I want to be a winner. But Jesus only saves losers. I want to be first, but Jesus comes for the last. I want to be in control of my life, but Jesus wants me to die. Jesus wants me and you and all of us here to die. To die to all of these overwhelming expectations we place on ourselves and on other people. Jesus tells these stories, these parables, to break down all of the labels we throw around and to show us how salvation, our salvation, it's already been figured out. We don't have to do it because Jesus has already done it for us. Jesus loves turning things upside down. The whole gospel is one topsy-turvy, tumbling story. The chosen people of this world, 
the privileged, the powerful, the righteous, the religious, the pious, they're not usually the ones out there dancing on the dance floor because they've ignored their invitation. They think they already have everything they need. But at God's party, at God's party, it's those of us who've been crippled by our sin, who've been blinded by our shame, who have been made lame by our guilt. We get to eat and drink and dance. We get to do that because, friends, we're a bunch of losers. We're a bunch of sinners. And we are exactly Jesus' cup of tea. We are the outsiders and the nobodies who never thought we had a chance in the world. And yet God wants a full house. God wants the party to be bumping. And all of us are invited. This is the word of God preached to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord of the party, crank it up to 11. Bring out the drinks, bring out the food. Scatter room for us to dance, O Lord, because we are here to rejoice to celebrate knowing how the story ends, knowing there's nothing we can do or should do or must do to get into the party because you've already invited us. All we need, O oh Lord, is the humility to see and believe that even if we turn the invitation down, you're going to come grab us and bring us in anyway. And so we give you thanks, O oh Lord, for the meal we are about to receive for the bread and the cup as a foretaste of that party that knows no end. For here, O Lord, we get a taste, a taste of what is waiting for us, where you and your Son and your Spirit reign with the communion of saints to that great party that has no end, the party that will always be bumping, the party that we are invited to. Amen. Amen. And so it is in the knowledge of our undeserving of our failure, of our sin, of our bumps, our bruises, all of our blemishes, that God sees us and says, come and party anyway. But before we party, it is good for us to greet the other guests. So as you're able, would you please stand and share signs of Christ's peace with the losers who are here at church.